Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, The USS Indianapolis, Show Me a Hero and I'll Write You a Tragedy. Today's episode of No Home for Heroes is taken from the files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. In 1945, the famous writer F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote, quote, Show me a hero, and I'll write you a tragedy, end quote. Which makes me ponder whether or not his famous quote was inspired by a naval hero in 1945, that same year, Captain Charles Butler McVeigh III, whose ship, the famous USS Indianapolis, delivered the components of the first atomic bomb which effectively ended World War II. The tragedy that ensued when the Indianapolis was sunk with the loss of 879 sailors and marines and the subsequent court-martial of Captain Mivet is one of the history's military mysteries that prevails to this very day. I want to welcome you to this episode of No Home for Heroes. I'm your host, Rick Stone, bringing you another great true story from our vault of history's military mysteries. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We invite you to listen to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming platform you like to listen to podcasts. We want to dedicate this week's episode to Mr. Bryce Madison of Haven, Kansas. Bryce, a former journalist who heard me use Fitzgerald's quote in a speech way back in 1995, never forgot the impact of the linkage between heroes and tragedies. Bryce and I talked about that fact often over the last quarter of a century. Bryce was a lifelong best friend, and Bryce passed away this week. He was my hero in many, many ways, and his passing is a tragedy for many, many people who knew and loved him. But back to our story. Charles Butler McVeigh III was a hero in every sense of the word. Charles McVeigh is, as we said, most known in U.S. naval history for captaining the USS Indianapolis, a cruiser, hull number CA-35, when two Japanese torpedoes from submarine I-58 struck and sunk her on 30 July 1945. Survivors of the sinking drifted unknown in the Philippine Sea for four days and 879 sailors out of a crew of 1,196 were lost. The loss of the Indianapolis and the failure of the Navy to recognize its non-arrival in port remains one of the most tragic and mysterious episodes in U.S. naval history. But Captain McVeigh was a naval hero long before the Indianapolis sinking. He served as the executive officer of the USS Cleveland, another cruiser, 
during the North African landings in November 1942, and he earned a Silver Star for Valor aboard that very same ship in the Solomon Islands in March 1943. From May 1943 to October 1944, Captain McVeigh chaired the Joint Intelligence Staff in Washington, D.C., a very prestigious post during World War II. Captain McVeigh took command of the Indianapolis on 18 November 1944, and under his command, the Indy participated in attacks on Iwo Jima, Tokyo, and was critically damaged by a Japanese aerial bomb in the pre-invasion of the Battle of Okinawa. After refitting in Mare Island Navy Yard in California, Captain McVeigh was entrusted to deliver the components of the first operational atomic bomb to Tinian Island in the Pacific. His transit on board the Indianapolis with the precious cargo set a speed record by ships that still exist to this very day. But it all meant nothing when the Indy took two torpedoes from that Japanese submarine on its starboard side shortly after midnight on 30 July 1945. Captain McVeigh was court-martialed in the aftermath of the sinking, becoming the only captain of a U.S. Navy warship to be court-martialed after losing his ship in action. I recently had the honor to command the men and women in the Histories Branch of the Naval History and Heritage Command on the Washington Navy Yard, and one of the teams under my command occupied a portion of the third floor, which we call in Navy parlance the third deck of building number 57 on the Washington Navy Yard. This was the exact location where Captain McVeigh was tried during his court-martial. To compound the tragedy of the court-martial, the windows of the courtroom looked out over the parade ground and the home of the Commandant of the Washington Navy Yard. It did that in 1945, and it still does today. Captain McVeigh was intimately familiar with the Navy Yard because his father, Admiral Charles Butler McVeigh Jr., had been the Commandant of the Navy Yard and lived in the very home on the facility that Captain McVeigh could look out and see every one of the 16 days the trial was in progress. Captain McVeigh was literally tried in his own front yard. The shame of knowing his career was over, regardless of the outcome of the trial. On the site of his father's greatest achievement as Commandant of the Navy Yard must have been excruciating. The windows of the third deck are no longer allowed to be open due to security reasons. <laughs> In fact, I never, it was, never was explained to me what the security reasons were that kept us from opening the windows or the blinds to the windows. Even though, you know, I surmise that maybe Chinese spies with binoculars were hanging in trees out near the gate at 11th and O Street in Washington, D.C., and they might try to steal our country's historical secrets? <laughs> well, I don't know, but it's a rule there, and we tried to follow it. Despite the security mandate, I have to confess that once or twice, I peeked through those closed binds and tried to imagine Captain McVeigh's agonizing internal demons as he viewed the scene of past family glory while he was enduring the agony 
of a court-martial. Less than five months after the sinking of the Indianapolis, Captain McVeigh was found guilty of recklessly endangering his crew by failing to zigzag. In spite of the Japanese submarine captain testifying at the trial, stating that such maneuvers would not have changed the outcome of the attack. The conviction, as expected, effectively ruined Captain McVeigh's naval career. It was controversial at the time and remains so even today. Ironically, the Indy was sunk on her return to the Pacific Theater for the staging of an invasion of the mainland of Japan, an invasion estimated at the time that might cost a million American casualties, an invasion that was made unnecessary due to the dropping of the atomic bomb delivered by Captain McVeigh and his gallant crew. Of the estimated 900 men on board the Indy who went into the water after the sinking, only 316 survived to be rescued. After four days and five nights, the survivors were finally sighted by a U.S. Navy aircraft on routine patrol. The pilot radioed the report of, quote, many men in the water, end quote, which alerted a PBY flying boat that in turn alerted multiple rescue ships who sped to the scene. But, and there's always a but in history's military mysteries, not all of the Indies crew who died remained missing. During the period 3 August through 8 August 1945, six ships were involved in recovering, identifying, and burying at sea bodies that were found near the scene of the Indianapolis sinking. Those ships were the USS Alwyn, commanded by K.F. Newport, he recovered three bodies. The USS Alvin C. Cockrell, commanding officer M.M. Sanford, that recovered seven bodies. The USS Cecil J. Doyle, commanded by W.G. Clater, recovered 21 bodies. USS French, commanded by R.C. Robbins, recovered 29 bodies. And the USS Helm, commanded by A.F. Hollingsworth, recovered 28 bodies. The USS Madison was the last ship to recover bodies, commanded by Donald W. Todd, and they recovered three bodies. Of the 91 total bodies recovered and given a burial at sea, a total of 45 were identified by various means, buried at sea, and removed from the official list of those missing in action from the USS Indianapolis. That arduous and distasteful task of recovering bodies and rendering a decent burial at sea in accordance with naval tradition provided closure to 45 families who would have forever wondered about the fate of their loved one. But, and here's that but again, but what about the mystery of the other 46 bodies who were recovered and given a burial at sea and who remain? on the missing in action list to this very day. Well, investigators from the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation have uncovered documents in the archives that lead us to believe that a dozen or more of these heroes from the Indy who were given a burial at sea could and probably should have been identified in 1945. In the coming weeks and months, 
our known Home for Heroes podcast will be devoted to unraveling some of these mysteries. And some of these long-forgotten heroes will be explored on our podcast. And we are working with the U.S. Navy's History and Heritage Command and the Indy Survivors Organizations to officially resolve the mysteries and report the resolutions to the Department of Defense. Accounting for a lost sailor, thereby giving their loved ones and family closure, I think, and we think, is the greatest gift the United States Navy can give to the family of a service member who has been missing in action since World War II. Being remembered by a grateful nation and not being forgotten is the greatest way to celebrate and thank a sailor who lost his life in battle and then disappeared from history. To our hero, Captain McVeigh, tortured by the demons he must have seen out of the window of the third deck of Building 57 on the Washington Navy Yard, and who sadly committed suicide on 6 November 1968, we now hope to write the tragedy promised by F. Scott Fitzgerald in such a way that the current occupants of the third deck at the Naval History and Heritage Command can add a positive postscript to what you endured, Captain McVeigh, on that very spot in 1945. And to my own personal hero, Bryce Madison, I hope to make you proud with this project that we today officially dedicate in your name. Thank you all for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you enjoyed today's production and we invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio Podcast, Blueberry, or, you know, just whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.cheaprickstone.com. We again thank you for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas. And yes, Bryce, fair winds and following seas to you. I'm your host, Rick Stone reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them.